Welcome back to A Fine Time for Healing, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matters. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. Just a reminder, if you haven't subscribed to the Randy Fine channel, make a note that you're going to do that or do it right now. And then when you like a video, I'm putting up like two videos a week at least. So when you like a video, do me a favor and give me a thumbs up, okay? And leave me some comments. Let me know how you feel about the topic. And yeah, your thoughts. Um, today we're going to be talking about father-child bonding. And this is really important because the, this influence extends beyond childhood. Um, this can have lasting effects into adulthood. And I thought this would be a really great show because it's something we haven't talked about here on A Fine Time for Healing in the 12 years that I've been doing the show. Um, so we have with us today, Dr. Darren Moore, who is a father, a husband, a clinical professor and licensed marriage and family therapist. He owns I Am More LLC, a counseling and consulting practice in Georgia, providing individual couple family and group therapy services in several states, as well as consulting across the United States. He currently serves as the Associate Director for Clinical Training and Supervision in the Master's Program in Marriage and Family Therapy at the Family Institute, Northwestern University. Welcome, Dr. Moore, it's great to have you. Thanks for having me. Was this a topic you were always interested in, or is this something that really became strong when you became a parent? It's a good question. I, I've had that question asked a couple of times, and it's actually a topic that um, I've been very interested in uh, for quite some time. Actually, when I started my career, um, I've always been interested in fatherhood and fatherlessness, sort of those two um, aspects or dimensions and how that affects uh, children um, as they uh, grow up and move into adulthood. So I've, I've been always interested in the topic of fatherhood and fatherlessness, but I also think that um, with becoming a father, there's like an added um, additional interest um, that I sort of I think has added to the previous um, interest. Okay, good. I mean, it's such an important topic. And I think that, um, you know, there are a lot of father children whose fathers are not involved in their life. I see it, I'm a, a narcissistic abuse expert and coach. Um, I see the effects of it in adulthood with many of my clients. So. It's really important that a child has a male role model. Uh, so in general, what does father-child bonding do for the child? Sure, you know, I think when we talk about children, when children are born, they're um, innocent and they need a lot of love and attention. And so a lot of the conversation typically is on the uh, the significant bond that happens between mothers and children. Of course, that starts um, in utero, of course, if you have a, a traditional um, birth. But we talk a lot about 
how strong of a bond there is between a mother and, and a child, which is extremely important. But there's not so much always a conversation around the importance and significance of the bond for fathers and children. And so there are lots of uh, positive outcomes that can occur due to having a strong bond with your child, of course, during the beginning stages which I believe actually start um, during pregnancy. Um, there are lots of ways that fathers can bond with their child and it really creates a uh, strong connection. It helps with uh, security. So helping the child to feel secure and have a secure attachment to parental figures. And then there's lots of outcomes as it re relates to children's ability to um, temper their behavior, um, and, it specifically impacts as it relates to um, outcomes within the education system. So, so many um, positive benefits in terms of having this strong relationship and rapport and bond between a father and a child. And you said that that starts basically if, if, if the child is um, in utero, it starts then. But so mainly what you're talking about here, though, is the bond with your baby in general okay yes absolutely <clears throat> and um i saw a study that said toddlers whose fathers took a special interest in childcare were two to six months ahead of scheduled of schedule on tests of development problem solving skills and social skills absolutely yeah that's definitely one <clears throat> of the the benefits and so i think that that's another reason why we have to think about um how do we create those healthy bonds between fathers and children as we think about those outcomes and, and one of those major areas is the education system. If you think about how important tests are um, when it comes to being promoted to the next grade and thinking about preparation for life after, you know, after, um, you know primary education, uh, the ability to have even an extra added benefit uh, is extremely important. So now um, paternity leave is pretty popular, at least with some of the larger companies. And um, it's that is so important. And I know I just uh, recently had a grandson in April 3rd. And um, my fortunately, my daughter and son-in-law have a lot of leave. So they're sort of splitting it up to stretch it out. Um, you know, but my son-in-law absolutely loves the time that he spends with the baby and and the baby responds so well to him he just lights up when his daddy's in the room <clears throat> i think that's you know i think that's so beautiful this is so different than it used to be where fathers went to work and did not bond with their children as much <clears throat> yeah you know there's definitely been a a push and a shift to uh, providing those types of benefits, um, but it is still an area that needs to be addressed even further. Um, while there are some companies and corporations that do provide, um, you know, paternity leave or parental leave, um, there are lots of of companies that do not still, and so there is a a need for more conversation to think about the importance of having uh, parental leave for for fathers. In addition to that, I think there are a lot of misnomers about parental leave and what that means. A lot of times people talk about um, FMLA or the Family Medical Leave Act 
And what we know about that is that that typically uh, protects one's employment, but it doesn't necessarily provide any financial compensation. So in addition to being in a business or a corporation that has paternity leave or parental leave, you also have to have that time that's built up to be able to take time off and still receive financial compensation. So for some people who may not have those types of positions or may not have that amount of time accumulated, they may not be able to benefit from such uh, opportunities. That's a shame. I think New York um, contributes to uh, paternity leave. I think the company pays a certain amount and New York contributes other, um, because I know that's how they're getting their their payment from both, they're getting it from both. what does a role model, the father, um, represent as a role model for a child? Sure, I think a father represents, um, typically represents strength. It represents um, communication. So part of one of the things that fathers can do is to um, model positive communication skills, can model emotional regulation, which we know is extremely important during um, childhood, and also uh, ways to think about problem solving. There's a lot of research that's talked about how fathers can help with problem solving, um, critical thinking, all of these types of things that um, will have uh, an impact across the lifespan. And so I think when we consider role model, we talk about communication, we talk about problem solving, we talk about the ability to develop a secure attachment, which is also used as young children have other relationships in the future. And we're talking about a good role model because if <laughs> if the father is not a good role model, then we their moral, the child's moral and ethical development is going to be reflected. Uh, affected by that. So, um, you know, we're hoping that the father is going to be a good role model, but that's not always the case. So, uh, the the development of self-esteem and self-confidence in a child. Um, Fathers who offer praise, encouragement, and validation help their children develop a a positive self-image and belief in their abilities. I think that's really... um, this is the core of who we all are. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, this is how we function well in this world. Yeah, and I, I think as we think about uh, how important having a positive self-esteem, self-worth is when we think about not only just in terms of um, education or you know employment, but as we think about how do we enter into and cultivate future relationships, it is extremely important because the father can help set the tone. Um, So then when children are thinking about um, establishing relationships with other people in the future, they have some sense of uh, self-esteem and some sense of self-worth, which can impact um, how they enter those relationships. And for the father, how does being involved affect them in their lives? Yeah, I think um, 
it can provide a sense of pride and joy, of course, having a child and being able to connect and being able to play that role to um, offer advice, to serve as a role model. It can help reinforce the identity of, um, of manhood, the identity of um, being someone that contributes to the household and contributes to society. Mm -hmm. And so I think there are lots of positive benefits mm -hmm. when we think about uh, fathers and, and how they receive those benefits um, when, when they have children. Right. And I was reading that um, it says that fathers who are involved learn to feel, express, and manage emotions, positive, negative, and everything in between that they never had, um, which makes them more empathetic and uh, better equipped to see other perspectives. I can see where that would happen. Absolutely. I mean, if, if you think about it, you know, it's one thing to to live a life and to navigate relationships and have more um, freedom to express your emotions and things like that. But I think when you have a child, um, you just learn that there's someone else outside of you that's important. And you also recognize that you have to deal with uh, being patient, right? You have to deal with um, ambiguity, not knowing um, how do you deal with a, a, a child that's crying and how do you sort of uh, address those needs? And sometimes there's uncertainty. And so I think that that does help to regulate uh, emotions, helps um, fathers to learn how to communicate effectively. I mean, these are things that you could, you could be privy to prior to having a child, but I think are just enhanced um, when you do have a child. Yeah, I can definitely see where that would happen. I mean, I've watched the progress of my son-in-law from the time when he brought the infant home and was so frazzled to now, which is four months later, and he's much calmer. And you can tell that he's been able to, in the beginning, he had a hard time regulating his, you know, his emotions. Um, but I think that in time, he's learned to do that. So I can see where that would play out. So I grew up, I was born in the late 50s. I grew up in the 60s and 70s. And this was when father's roles were much more traditional. So what did we not get um, during those times that we could have had things been different? Sure. I think when I compare that sort of timeline with more contemporary times, I think the thing that stands out to me the most is, as you mentioned, um, during those times, I think the primary role uh, for fathers was that of a breadwinner, um, which is important, um, the ability to um, produce revenue, to contribute financially to the household, um, whether that's being the sole breadwinner or being a partner and being able to take care of the child. And so there was a lot of conversation and focus on um, finances and not so much of a conversation and discussion around non-financial um, ways to contribute to the household. So I think the things that may have been missed is related to the significance of that relationship between the father and the child um, beyond uh, the ability to um, produce revenue. So that 
commitment and relationship, that bond, um, the emotional uh, attachment. Um, those are the things that I think have been missed. And I think, you know, one might argue that some of those things could impact how those adults then entered into relationships and how they thought about um, parenting for themselves. And so I think there are lots of shifts in, in terms of the role of fathers and we have come to a place where fatherhood has evolved. I agree with you. I do. Um, the other thing I think is fathers were put in the uh, disciplinary role many times, you know, and they'd work all day, ch kids wouldn't see them and then they'd come home and then they'd have to take care of the discipline, wait till your father comes home, which boy, that does not put the father in such good light, does it? It does not. I think it sort of creates uh, this weird dynamic where the father is not present, um, but then present to provide discipline and punishment. So that can create some tension around that bond that you're trying to create. I think when you have parental figures that are involved in um, you know, disciplining their children, they also have to have lots of other times where they are connected to their children in more positive ways mm -hmm. in order to sort of temper that. And so I think during, during the, um, you know, during the previous times, that wasn't always the case, which I think then created even more of a lack of connection and bond between said parents and children. Good point. So our society is, is so fractured and so confused. <laughs> Let's just say that. Um, I don't know. Men don't know their men. Women don't know their women. It's all kind of crazy. But um, there's a lot of single parent homes. And um, at least with what I see, one of the things that I see that is huge um, with narcissistic abuse is parental alienation. That could be alienation of the mother or the father, but it damages children forever when this happens and it causes psychological splitting. Um, you know, so how do we create a society where men are more involved when it's not um, it's it, it, it's not conducive toward to these traditional family settings. Yeah, you know, I think it goes back to sort of one thing that you mentioned. I think we have to number one continue to promote fatherhood and continue to celebrate fatherhood and to recognize the. Um, multiple dimensions of fatherhood. One of the things that you talked about was uh, parental alienation syndrome. And as a licensed marriage and family therapist, I have worked with individuals um, who were having issues related to that topic. In my practice, I've definitely worked with couples that were um, engaged in separation or divorce. Um, and, you know, then there's uh, child custody that comes involved. And so there can be lots of conversations around how parents uh, engage in 
counterproductive behaviors that can then create additional problems for the child. And so I think that um, one of the things that we as adults have to do is to step outside of ourselves and remember that um, what's most important is the um, the health and overall wellness of our children. And when we put our children first, um, sometimes that allows us to uh, to respond um, and react in a way that's healthy, um, even if we are splitting up with uh, a partner, for example. Mm -hmm. So it definitely, uh, there's definitely a need for us to have more positive conversations about fathers, to talk more about the benefits of, of being a father and how that um, can positively impact the children and the family. Um, so it really, it's really requiring a shift in our mindset and in how we think about uh, traditional roles. Now, can a surrogate father be just as effective, like a grandfather or an uncle or someone like that? Absolutely. I definitely believe, I mean, when we talk about, when I talk about fatherhood in my work, I talk about fatherhood broadly defined. And so that could include someone who is a parental figure, but may not be a biological father. Um, we all know that people, uh, you know, achieve fatherhood in different ways. It could be biology, it could be um, foster care and adoption. It could be, um, as you mentioned, uh, a, a family member that has that sort of father figure role. Um, so definitely, I think that fatherhood is, is a, a larger or broader um, sort of concept in that a father figure that's not a biological uh, father or not a family member um, can be equally effective um, as a biological father. Good, I, I'm glad I'm glad to hear that because I mean, I think I see that in other people and families um, where an uncle or a grandfather steps in and it's it really sort of takes that, plays that role. Um, do females, do girls need male role models as much as boys do? 100%. I think that, um, you know, I think both um, males and females need, need father figures, but in terms of uh, what I have seen in my practice and what I've seen mm -hmm. in the literature, um, there are some specifics. And I think one of the things that we sort of mentioned previously is around that self-esteem. And I think that when we're considering how children grow up and then they pursue their own relationships if a uh if a young or female uh in particular has a lower self-esteem that could impact how she thinks about entering relationships so i think um i would say equally important for both male and female children yeah children watch the way their parents relate to each other and that's a predictor of how they're going to have, you know, the kind of relationships they're going to have. I know for me, I saw fighting and anger and humiliation and all of that. And so I thought, <coughs> sorry, I thought I knew what love was. And then when I grew up and I began to um, have relationships, they were so toxic because I thought love was fighting and dramatic. You know, that's how I saw it. So 
it's important that you model a good marriage for or a good relationship for your children so that they can then because they will model after you right absolutely um Uh, what do you have to say about fathers who have to work away from home, have to travel a lot? That's hard. That's extremely hard. And I think fathers, and I would say parents broadly defined, have to make decisions about what is important for their family and that has to be considered within the context of time. And so I would say that any parent that works away from home that has a uh, a large commute or that travels a lot, um, they obviously can miss out on uh, things that are happening in the home that also might impact that relationship and that bond. It might impact the way in which they're able to uh, be an authority figure. I think with technology, there's lots of things that are are able to help mediate that to some extent uh, than, you know, maybe the past. And so we have the emergence of being able to do video calls, for example, with children. I mean, during during the, um, you know, the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, there were, you know, everyone jumped on Zoom. And so, although I'm, I'm certain most um, children were probably with their their families we know that there were adult children who wanted to connect with their family members that may have lived in other states or other geographic locations so with technology i think uh, it does help to mediate it does not take the place of obviously um, but it can help to mediate some of the things that um, might be more difficult to do from afar Parenting a, um, a young child is very different than parenting a grown-up child. Um, <clears throat> and so things have to change a lot. Um, I guess it's a gradual process. But what are the challenges of parenting an adult child? They're an adult. <laughs> and I think that, you know, uh, that means a lot of different things to, to to people, right? And so I think, first of all, when we, we use the word adult, what does that really mean? You know, what age group are we talking about? Are we talking about uh, emerging adults? Are we talking about people who are, you know, 18 to 22? Are we talking about, you know, 23 to 30, right? Because how we think about mm-hmm. adults and the responsibilities that we um, attribute to them, I think, impacts how a parent would would then interact with that individual. So I think, you know, most of the the uh, differences will be around independence, um, but that's assuming that there is a level of independence, right? So what we know also, I mean, we're living in a time where there is economic downturn, there's housing market crisis, there are lots of uh, financial pressures. And so we are seeing um, more families sort of live together under one roof um, than maybe before. And so that might impact how we think about um, young adults who might be uh, traditionally who would have maybe launched into 
um, you know, maybe their own independence earlier um, is not always the case. Of course, this is dependent upon um, not only, you know, finances, but also culture, of course, as well. And so I, I think when you have a adult that's in the home of their parents, uh, while also being an adult, that can also then uh, in, impact and create difficulties and conflict. So I think um, the, the main difference is, is that they are adults. And so they probably have their own ideas, their own thoughts, their own perspectives, and want to live accordingly. Uh, but that can be difficult um, when you have parents that have their own opinions too. <laughs> you have to silence those opinions. You have to be very, I walk, I tread very lightly with my opinions with my kids. I wait till I'm asked, I offer, <laughs> and then I back off because <clears throat> my children are very independent, um, 32 and 38, very, very independent. And um, they truly have minds of their own, but you know, they still, there's things that they want mom for and there's things that they want dad for so we have we definitely have our areas you know they'll call if they're having car trouble or money issues it's for dad for me it's the emotional stuff or i'm really spiritual so sometimes it's the woo woo stuff that they're experiencing they'll run by me um their relationships those kind of things so and i think that's really been the division in our marriage all along <clears throat> Sure. So they've come to expect that. Wow. One, uh, one thing that comes to mind is family businesses. That can be a real challenge for fathers and their children. It's, it's a very weird role to be in because you're, first of all, there's the generational gap where the father may have done everything he wants to do and made the money. And then you've got the young one who wants to come in and has some innovative ideas, wants to change the business and the father's stuck. It can really wreak havoc in a relationship. Yeah. Interestingly enough, um, as, as family therapists, we often do consulting with family businesses and helping uh, families to navigate you know communication and navigate relationships and so you're right there can often be um a a lack of connection and, and a lack of uh congruence around what is um you know what are the roles and responsibilities of all individuals mm -hmm. um and 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 really a lot of the conflict is around effective communication and change so as you mentioned it may be uh, a, a child that wants to create some innovation, add some technology components or some other dimensions to maybe uh, a previous um, business that has been successful, right? And so you may have a parent that says, hey, this has been successful um, this long, right? Why add anything to it? And then that can create that conflict. The other thing that I've seen in family businesses that I've worked with is you may have parents who have worked their entire lives and have um you know invested in said business with the idea maybe perspective that the children would automatically want to carry that forward and that's not always the case um sometimes you have children who do not want anything to do with said family business and so um that can then create some tension across generations um and then sometimes Maybe there are multiple 
um, siblings and there's a question around who gets to do what with the business. Yeah, what comes to mind is that um, that series Succession. Have you seen Succession? Yes. There it yes. is. That is it. That nails it. I mean, there is so much conflict in that family among who's going to do what, who's going to get which, take which role. <clears throat> the whole series is really about that. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I think family business is really very difficult for, for the health of a family. I don't, I don't think it's, it's a good thing to, um, to plan to leave a business to your child. It, you know, it, it definitely can create conflict, but you know, what's interesting is here, here in the States, um, when we think about even some of the major corporations, a lot of them were started as, as family businesses, small businesses that just grew, um, you know, and so there's, there's been lots of conversations around um, not only just uh, the idea of leaving a family business to children, but, you know, to what extent do you leave anything to your kids? And, and there's been lots of differing perspectives uh, by, by various individuals in the media. Um, and I think that's always been uh, an interesting sort of topic. So what are some that what are some of the issues, other issues? We talked about some issues that you see in your practice. What are some other issues that are around um, father child bonding? Yeah, so um, to be honest, I think most of the issues that I see are really th this is the thing. So in my practice, and I would say, and this is part of some of the problems within mental health broadly defined is that we are often reactive as opposed to proactive. So what happens is when I get couples that come in for couples therapy, marital, marital therapy, they are, some of them are on the edge. They have already had significant trauma, significant conflict, major issues that have been happening. And I think that makes it that much more difficult to quote save a relationship if if at all possible and so then what happens is through that uh breakup or dissolution that's when you start to see the issues around parenting and um issues being created unnecessarily when people break up or, or separate. That's when you see the parental alienation. That's when you see the verbal jabs at each other. Um, that's when you see uh, issues around child custody and people um, being malicious towards one another. It's really uh, once people start to talk about breakup and separation that I see a lot of those um, negative impacts on the bonding between um, fathers and children, but sometimes mothers and children too, depending on, you know, everything that's happening. And so my point being that we need to think about mental health uh, as, as uh, prevention as well, not just as, as an intervention, but as prevention. So just like we would go to a primary medical professional for an annual checkup, 
There's nothing wrong with going to see a therapist just for an annual visit to check on your overall health and well-being. Um, we have, if you own a vehicle, we have to get routine oil checks, right? Um, there's all these these um, ideas and messages mm -hmm. in society where it's important to sort of check in on certain things, and I think we need to we need to consider that when considering mental health, so that we can work to address issues, problems, and concerns um, prior to you know. Uh, going to a place of no return sometimes for people. I mean, right. I can definitely help create interventions and strategies and techniques, um, but sometimes it's it's almost, it's already the beginning of the end for some couples. And so right. sometimes my work is helping couples to recognize that um, when working with them. Right, so it's better to, to consult um, a therapist a family therapist, a marriage therapist, when the issues begin rather than when they've already exploded <laughs> to the point of no return. Because then yes. there's too much resentment to undo. Yes. Do you think there's as much of a stigma now about mental health as there used to be? Um, no, I think that, I think that there is still some stigma, but definitely not, um, the same amount of stigma stigma um, as it was previously. I think there's lots of conversations in the media, lots of literature, lots of scholars who have done research that have talked about the benefits of mental health. Um, and so I think there's a, a, a broader uh, acceptance of mental health. I think that we definitely need to continue the conversation, but um, when we start to see uh, sports professionals, individuals in the entertainment industry, for example, um, even, you know, uh, political officials talk about mental health. Uh, for example, there's been a lot of conversation around loneliness, um, you know, during the COVID-19 pandemic mm -hmm. and that conversation sort of transitioning to a conversation about depression. Um, and so you've seen some political officials even have conversations about that. So I think that uh, the more that we have conversations, the um, less stigma, you know, emerges. So I think it is improving, but I think there are still opportunities for growth in that area. Well, I think that's the case in everything. There's always opportunities for growth in every area. <laughs> um, sure. But I agree with you. I think it's it's much more mainstream now than it was. I mean, my parents didn't know anything about mental health. <laughs> which <clears throat> really kind of produced a weird generation because our parents didn't understand it. And then we did. So here we're, you know, we're really focusing on our mental health and then we're looking back and we're seeing how our parents screwed up so badly <laughs> from that generation, you know, so not all of them, not all of them. No, some of them were good. Some of them had instincts, but in general, um, there's a big divide there. I, I also think, um, at least in my experience, um, I, I live in Georgia. Um, I've lived on the West Coast. Um, I've had different experiences. I'm from the Midwest, so I've, I've sort of been around. Um, but I've even noticed, uh, at least in my, you know, my own lived experience, uh, geographical differences in some extent. Um, so I think there are, there are geographical differences as well as perhaps um, differences in maybe even uh, in terms of culture, for example, 
you know, in Georgia, I'm in the Bible Belt. Uh, there's a lot of conversation about religion and spirituality and maybe less conversation around mental health. I think that there's been a lot of conversation around, you know, is there space for mental health within spirituality and religion? Um, but then when I lived on the West Coast, it was very common to hear people walking down the street talking about their therapy sessions. So it's just very different um, in terms of sort of geographic uh, regions as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I can see that yeah, because sometimes re religion can conflict with good mental health um, depending on how it's presented. How do sure. you feel? How do you feel about um, about spanking and physical punishment like that to children? Yeah, uh, that is a very, I think, um, difficult sort of topic because we have so many varying ideas about parenting. Um, I think there's like the traditional model where, um, or, or more historical model where parents engage in spanking. Um, they also engaged in, you know, timeouts and other ways of, of disciplining their children. And then we have sort of the emergence of, um, you know, other types of parenting, um, maybe less, um, less on the punishment side, uh, more on the open communication side, talking to your children, trying to like um, explain uh, things to them, uh, to try to negotiate with them. <laughs> and more conversations around incentives and things like that. So mm -hmm. um, I think each family has to determine what's best for them. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm, I'm against anything that would be considered abuse. Um, of course, there are lots of conversations around what abuse is and what abuse is not. Mm -hmm. um, of course, as a as a therapist, I'm a mandated reporter. So when I have conversations with parents, we do have very clear um, distinctions between what might be considered discipline versus what might be considered abuse. abuse. But I think that every every family, every parent has their mm -hmm. own approach. Um, I personally, personally, like in, in terms of my uh, role as a father. I mean, I have an infant, so I mean, it's it's really not a conversation right now. But I can tell you about my own personal philosophy. Um, I'm not someone that subscribes to spanking. Um, I have lots of friends though that are that are uh, parents, and they say just wait. Uh, so I don't really know, um, you know, how I think about that personally outside of my own experiences. But when it comes to you know parents, I think parents have to. You know, sometimes it's trial and error and trying different things. I think children are also very um, individual. So you could have uh, a family with three children and all three children respond to different things when it comes to trying to uh, talk to your kids or to sort of understand and create opportunities for um, better understanding around, around discipline. So what I've also known is that one thing that worked for one child doesn't automatically work for the other child or other children. So there is a trial and error uh, process. And so I think it's up to parents um, to think about what feels helpful for them. In the families that I've worked with, that's also a point of contention sometimes between parents who have different viewpoints and perspectives around discipline. Mm -hmm. 
you may have, you know, one parent that believes in, you know, spanking and you have, you may have another parent that does not, and that can then create tension. Um, and so my advice to, to those individuals is, you know, everything I think can be resolved through communication. Um, hopefully prior to, you know, when you're planning to have a child, like having these questions um, and conversations to talk about, well, what if this happened? How would you react or respond? Mm -hmm. I think that is always a, a good thing. And I do quite a bit of um, premarital therapy, for example. And so a lot of those conversations are had during those sessions. However, you don't know what you don't know until you encounter, you know, a specific uh, behavior or, or, or situation. So one of the things that I remind the clients that I work with is you can have the best of plans and it's great to plan, but you also have to be flexible, um, learn how to pivot um, and learn how to um, deal with newness because you can have uh, the best plans and things don't work out the way that you, you intended. And so I think through communication, conflict resolution, um, parents can create a system of parenting and, and disciplining that works for everyone. But it is a, it is a, uh, a touchy subject. And I think that it also, um, you know, has broader implications. Some people have viewpoints that stem from like, you know, religion, for example, I, I live in Georgia. There's a lot of people that talk about religion and they use special Bible quotes and things to support how they navigate parenting. But then there are other people who, um, you know, don't believe in it at all. And I think every parent can, can make their own decisions. Um, once again, um, distinguishing discipline and abuse, obviously. And, and, you know, it takes an immense amount of patience to be an, a parent, you know, and I think when the parent loses their patience and resorts to something physical because it feels better for them to get that out, <clears throat> I don't think that's really fair. I think it's really up to the parent to um, calm themselves down, figure it out, and not really you know, physically hit a child, but I understand people have different feelings. I always, I always used the level of my voice. It worked great. I was very calm all the time. When they heard it go up, they knew mom's pissed. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and it worked great, you know. Um, yeah, and, and if you have special needs children, that can be really challenging. It's very Definitely. hard with behavioral issues and things like that. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that um, children who who have healthy bonding um, with both parents in their childhood, do you think that sets them up for better relationships in the future? Yes, I think that, you know, I also, I want to qualify that. Um, I think that we, we have children that grow up in two parent families. We have some children that do not. And I think that uh, children who grow up in single parent families can be uh, equally well adjusted and healthy and, and can go on and have great relationships. 
What I'm referring to um, is if you have two parents where both parents have a strong bond, I think that is better than a two-parent family where only one parent has a strong bond. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sort of comparing two parents and two parents, not necessarily two parents versus someone that has only one parent because there are lots of different types of family systems and lots of different reasons why a person might be a single parent um, and that has to be sort of accounted for. And also thinking about, um, you know, young people are also very resilient. Um, they can, you know, deal with things and explore things and experience things and still grow up and be great, well-adjusted, productive citizens and enter into wonderful relationships. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's more so around if you have the parents, um, both parents should be be involved. Um, and if you have the parents and one parent is not, that's problematic. Right. And we marry a fa we marry a person, but we marry a family, and we marry all the problems that come along with that family. <clears throat> so if you <clears throat> if you grow up with really great role models, parental role models, and then you marry somebody who does not have that, there can be problems there. So I guess ideally, it would be somebody with really good role models marrying somebody with really good role models. I don't think that happens a lot. <laughs> correct, correct. I mean, I think we as, as individuals in society, I don't even know that we can agree with what is a good parent, parental figure and a good role model, right? Because there's so much diversity um, across families and different ideas around um, what being a good parent is. For example, even talking about the differences across generations, right? So, you know, maybe in, in more historical times, being for the father to be a, a financial provider, that was considered a very good role model. Right. And in in some families today, that is still the case mm -hmm. In other families, they may have had a more broader sort of perspective. And so, you know, there may be instances where people don't agree on what it means to be a, a great parental figure. And so there's so much complexity, I think, to the topic um, when we start to think about um, all these other contextual factors. Yeah, which is why someone like you is so desperately needed <laughs> and you know and like you said earlier you know with mental health everybody can use a mental health checkup everybody and our mental health is largely um responsible for our physical health right absolutely <clears throat> yes the mind body connection is extremely important we know even when um we think about physical um, physical issues, right? A lot of them can be sort of prompted by your own mental health. Um, when we think about the correlations between, um, you know, depression and other types of um, physical Ill illnesses. Um, so it is important. I think that the other piece in terms of the way that I work with couples, um, especially when they're considering joining um, in a significant relationship or a union or marriage, um, is that we all come from our own families of origin. And as you mentioned, we all have um, things that we've experienced and learned from our own families. And couples 
they get to choose what they bring into their union. They get to choose the great things that they, they want to bring in. They get to choose things that they want to not bring in um, to their, their relationship. And so part of my role is helping couples to identify what are the things that worked well in your own families that you thought were positive um, that you want to contribute into this this new um, family and that you want to maybe instill in your future children. And then once again, what are those things that you're just like, I don't want this to be a part of my family. Mm -hmm. And so having those conversations can be helpful as well. Mm, so true. Um, <clears throat> the way our family operates is the way we think a family operates, right? So, <laughs> And, and that can be really confusing when you have situations where there's an abusive parent, emotionally, phys physically, sex sexually, because that's all that, that's how that child understands the family system, right? Correct. I think we, we are all products of our environment and our families are typically the most significant part of that environment. Um, when we think about how children are raised and socialized. So everything that you sort of know is filtered through that lens. Um, and I think that that's, that's what I think is also the sort of amazing part of what I do is I have so much access to other people. I get to learn about, oh, wow, like this is how you guys resolve conflict or these these are the types of issues that this family has and so it's when you meet other people and hear their stories mm -hmm. you start to realize that everyone's family um, you, you realize two things one you realize that everyone's family is different but then you also realize that everyone's family is the same right and so it just in different ways right and so right. i think that when you don't have access or exposure to other people you do tend to think that everyone has the same perspective as you, but it's when you interact with different people, be around different sort of groups of people, you start to learn, oh, wow, this was something that was different in my family of origin. And right. then you start to sort of think about that more critically. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think it was my son when he got to college and he said to me, I never realized what a good family and what good parents I had till I started talking to other people. And I and I heard their stories. I heard where they came from. He said, and I I was surprised. I think it was my son. It could have been my daughter. It could have been both of them. I really don't know. Um, but that that's a really good um, thing to hear. So this is something. Um, this is probably the last question I'll ask you. But uh, I want to hear your view on whether families are all forever. Are there families that just um, sometimes the family system is just not going to be beneficial to somebody as they get older? <clears throat> yes. <laughs> okay, I, hate to, I hate to say that, but yes. it, it, it is true, you know. And one of the things that I would say for myself, you know, in, in the way that I present myself in, in terms of my work um, with my clients, but also even um, as a professor in my work with students, I am very transparent. I, I'm very much a person that um, will call something out. And so there are situations 
um, where it's just not healthy. There is a such thing as a toxic relationship, and that could be um, someone in your own family. Right. And this is what I see all the time. You know, I see toxic families constantly, you know, and I see people enmeshed in it um, and having tremendous guilt over what they need to do to heal their mental health because it conflicts with the normal of their family. Mm -hmm. um, and I have to have this discussion with people quite often that sometimes we just come through our family and we learn what we learn, but it's not sometimes, just because their family doesn't mean it's forever. Doesn't mean you have to stay in it forever, right? That's correct. And I think that, you know, even when we think about the definition of family, you know, these days, it's even broadly defined. Your family is whoever you, you uh, name your family to be. That could include friends that you have had for lots of years. It could include other people in your local community. So it's not always even someone that you have blood ties with. Um, it could be, you know, other people. And so, yes, I think that, um, I mean, of course, as a therapist, I, I do believe in healing, but healing does not necessarily mean that a um, relationship has to remain intact in the same way. Mm -hmm. Healing can mean, you know, I've healed, but I am going on in my, in my own direction, mm -hmm. right? And so part of the work that I do, particularly with couples, sometimes is, is having real conversations around do we want to be in this relationship? Is this something that you want to continue with? Um, you know, and, and those are only questions that individual clients can answer. I just serve to facilitate the conversation and to give various perspectives, but people ultimately have to decide for themselves. At the same time, um, my, my style as a therapist is very direct. And if I see that there is a problem, I will say there is a problem and, and give it, you know, give the clients opportunity to talk about and dialogue. Um, I am not the type of therapist that would sit back and sort of be passive and just sort of let clients sort of keep going in these sort of habitual cycles. I'm more of a person that likes to intervene. Um, and so, you know, people who are interested in that and who want to make uh, progress, um, those are typically my my ideal clients, as opposed to people who want me to just sort of sit back and watch, uh, watch everyone fall off the edge. Um, I, I tend to try to intervene. Right. I'm very direct. Also, I like that. I like that. I don't like these therapists. Oh, OK, so but how did that make you feel? You know, <laughs> sure, sure. And, and you can go for years with that kind of thing and never really get anywhere. Um, where um, I know that you practice out of Georgia, but do you do remote practicing um, from others? What other states do you do that from? Yes, so um, I work and do remote here in the state of Georgia, also Alabama, mm -hmm. North Carolina, Illinois, New York, and Florida. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm in Florida. Okay, that's really cool. Um, okay, and so if anybody wants to connect with you because you're such a fantastic therapist and we heard some wonderful things from you today. Um, how would they do that? 
Sure. Um, I can be contacted through my website, uh, which is uh, www.iammore, spelled with two O's, um, LLC.com. And there you could um, you can send me an email directly or find my telephone contact information um, and reach out. Okay. So you, you have a good name for, for healing. I do too. More. <laughs> I am more. I am fine. <laughs> Absolutely. There we go. Good words. It's sure. been great talking to you today. Thank you so much for being my guest. Have a great day. Likewise. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye.